You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. I'm a, uh, a pastor at the downtown campus at Bethel. Uh, for the last summer, we've been going through the uh, wisdom books. We started with the book of Proverbs, and now we've moved to the book of Psalms. Uh, and so we're going to talk about the, some of the, the Psalms today. I'll be honest, I like Proverbs better. Uh, but they didn't ask me to teach then. The reason is because they're, they're shorter. They're, they're quicker. They're little nuggets of truth. It's almost as if when Jack Dorsey uh, invented Twitter, he thought, Proverbs, 140 characters or less. I like this right here. But Psalms, they're a little bit more artsy. They're emotional. They talk about your feelings. Um, in fact, so much that some of the Psalms say things that are not even theologically true. A, psalm, a psalmist might say that God has forsaken them or left them. And of course, the theological-minded person might say, no, 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 he has not. But that's missing the point. Because the psalms aren't meant to necessarily be a, a theological book, although they, it, there is theology in the book of Psalms, but it's written from a perspective of the heart more so than the head. And, and as a Bible church, sometimes that's a little more difficult for us because we like to live in our head a little bit. We like to talk about the Greek and the Hebrew and what the author meant in the context and the genre, and that is very good stuff. But the Psalms give us some freedom to tell God what we think and what we feel. To say, God, this is, this is what my emotions are crying out. And the, the book of Psalms is just as inspired as the other 65 books. That the psalmist speaking from his heart is exactly what God intends for us to read and hear. And so when we read the book of Psalms, we want to remember the genre it's in, and we want to remember the author's intent of how it was written. Now, for me, reading the Psalms um, is a bit like hanging out with people at the foundry. They've got these big old beards and flannel shirts, and they've got cool clothes on, and they know art, and they talk about the smell of coffee. And I walk in, like, with a dad with some khaki pants and a wrinkled shirt from Target, trying to fit in. E even the band, they're up there, and again, cool hair and all that. Matt McGill's up there with his chest hair coming out, doing his thing. If you've been downtown, you know this. And if you haven't, you'll probably never go now. But it's, and I'm like, hey, you guys, and it's, it feels weird to me. I still am under the belief that all poems should rhyme. Otherwise, they're not poems. But there's a place for art. And even though it's hard for me to get there, I know it. My soul knows it. Sometimes it sneaks up on me. When I see an Apple commercial about the crazy ones, I get a little freaked up. We're at Dead Poet Society when Robin Williams is walking out of the classroom and all the kids are on the on their desk standing up. I go, yes. It, it speaks to my soul 
uh, emotion and art, it's good for me. It's good for my, it's good for my heart. And how great that God says, yes, we don't want to just live up here in our heads, but the 12 inches from our head to our heart is a big deal. And that's inspired and part of God's Word. So today, we are going to read from Psalm 112. And we're going to talk a little bit about Psalm 112. So before we get started, let's, let's read it. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generous, generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Psalm 112 is uh, sort of a two-part psalm. If it wasn't written at the same time as Psalm 111, it was at least meant to go together. A couple parallels. Both are the exact same length. Both mirror each other in content. But here's the crazy thing. Both Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, they're acrostics. Uh, acrostics, those are those things that maybe you did in third grade when you had to write your mom a Valentine's Day card, and you would say, you know, V-A-L-E-N-T-I-N-E, and then you'd start with the V, and you'd go, very awesome mom, and then A, awesome mom still, right? And, and you'd go all the way down. That's how these psalms are written using the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. They're both, both psalms are 22 lines long using the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. To me, that's crazy that God in His Word, in His sovereignty, when He decided to speak to us, not only in the book of Psalms does He say, hey, it's cool for you to express your emotion. It's great for you to speak from your heart. It's fantastic to think artsy. He's going to say, I'm going to take it a step further. and I'm going to actually have this written in an art form in itself. Now, that is a is a communicated piece that says it is not just okay to be an artist, it is good to be an artist. So if, if you're in this room and you're an artist, if you're a, a singer or a songwriter or a painter or a sculptor or you watercolors or you draw, if you do anything in the realm of art, let me implore you, work on your craft. Get great at it. Because the church needs you. I need you. My soul needs you. The world needs you. We need people who do art that are able to communicate to hearts that sin leads to destruction and that following God is joyful. Right now, most of the art that is in our world, it's the opposite. It makes sin look beautiful. It makes God 
was boring and legalistic. Flip that around for my sake, for the church's sake, for the world's sake. So if you're an artist, oh, this is good. Okay, so Psalm 111 and Psalm 112, they, they marry each other. Psalm 111 focuses more on the attributes of God, while Psalm 112 focuses more on our response to God. Spurgeon says it like this in talking about Psalm 112. He said, It bears the same relation to the preceding which the moon does to the sun. For while the first declare the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness in men born from above. See, if you just read Psalm 112 alone, it looks like a checklist of things you ought to do, things a righteous person does. But we know especially coming off of the Galatians series here a few months ago, that what God has for us is not a bunch of checklists of things to do. In fact, what Psalm 112 is a response of, hey, here's who a righteous man is because of what God has done. The psalmist knows this. Both psalms start the same. It's praise the Lord, or some translations, alleluia. Not praise man or look what I've done, but hey, look who God is. Before going, there's a connecting point between Psalm 111 and 112. The end of Psalm 111 reads this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 112 starts in with, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Before the psalmist goes into the attributes of a godly person, he declares his thesis. It's the, this thesis that everything else flows from. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. So let's start by fear. What does it mean to fear the Lord? When we think of fear, we talk about fear, we talk about usually being scared, maybe scared of the dark, or scared of spiders, or scared of little clowns that eat toes. might just be me, but at nighttime, if you think about it, it'll freak you out. Now, I, you know, it's funny, Scripture talks about fear and the fear of the Lord over 300 times. And it's in a positive light that we should fear the Lord. But then we also look at John chapter 4 when he says, perfect love casts out fear. He talks about fear in a negative light. So we have to figure out how, how do these things go together? Because it seems like there's a juxtaposition there. A couple of examples about fear used in Scripture. In the Old Testament, Moses, when picking his leaders, uh, looking for people who did not take bribes and who feared the Lord, Joseph, with his brothers, when he was trying to convince them to find favor in himself, he, was, he said he was a man who feared the Lord. Pharaoh brought out all kinds of destruction because he didn't fear the Lord, as Scripture says. And it's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing also. Jesus, he said, don't fear men who can kill your body, but fear God who can kill your body and your soul. So what does it mean? Well, we look at the context. There's two things that fearing the Lord means. The first is a respect of who God is. It's understanding His position as a God who is way above us, who is beyond what we can comprehend. We are to fear that. And then second is to recognize his power. That we don't want to assume that the world is this ultimate threat and God is here to offset it. No. 
God is way more powerful than the world. The world is temporary. God is eternal. Uh, yet as we fear God, He forgives us. And His perfect love casts out the fear of the real consequences of what we deserve. God is powerful. He's not safe. As Lucy knows, but He's good. C.S. Lewis writes. But it's not enough to fear God. We want to love Him. We want to delight in Him. Fear will deter us from evil, but love leads us to obedience. And the psalmist knows this, right? Because he continues, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights in His commandments. See, these are two words that they're going together that typically don't go together. Fear and delight. Normally you don't fear and delight at the same time. I mean, the only exception I can think of might be the person who wants to pay $12 and go watch a, a horror movie. And, and if that's you, uh, I don't know how to say this other than just coming right out and, and say this. Something's wrong with you. You're probably the same kind of person that doesn't like ice cream and think NASCAR's a sport or something like that. No, I... Really, when we look at fear and delight, they oftentimes don't go together. But the psalmist who says, Blessed man who fears the Lord who delights in his commandments, I bet we tend to lean one way or another. That it might be easier us to fear the Lord, to, to know his position and to know his power and to honor and respect that. But maybe it's hard just to delight in his commandments, to laugh, to know that you're loved and just to rest in that. Or maybe it's the other way. Maybe, oh, you love you some Jesus and he's great and he's fun, but there might not be a respect and a reverence that he deserves. We get this in parenting, right? With our kids. We want them to respect and to honor us. We want to be able to say something and they obey. But if it just stops there, we've missed it. Because we also want to have family game night and we want to laugh and play and pin them down and tickle them and do all the fun stuff. And when it comes to a wise man, we want to fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. That's where wisdom comes from. Not in books or Twitter or insight or even age. It's a standing and a recognition of God. The psalmist continues, His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. There's a theme here of blessing, but specifically future blessing. And again, you could, if you want to take this out of context and ignore the rest of the Bible, you could say, oh, this is about prosperity gospel. It's not. We also want to remember the genre that this is written in, right? It's a psalm. But there is this theme of, of future blessing, of generational thinking that's pretty awesome. Um, I, I'm one of those weird people that enjoy making goals and objectives. And I do it a couple times a year and review them, and, and I think that's fun. Something's wrong with me. I get it. And uh, as I was doing this this year, I was talking to a friend who does this for his business. And he said what they do is they call them ABZ goals. So the A goals are goals that you're going to accomplish in the next year. Things are things you're evaluated on. Then you have the B goals, 
which are things that you hope to do in the next three to five years. It's a way to start beginning a little bit of long-term planning. What are some of the things you need to do now to get ready for those? And then you have Z goals, and these are sort of the what-if goals. What if we did something today that might have an effect 15, 20 years from now? And they do this so that when uh, their team members are talking to each other, that if you kind of someone's coming from an A goal perspective and someone from a Z goal perspective, and it, it can be a disaster if they're not on the same page and have some of the same language. The, the psalmist here, talking about his righteousness enduring forever, that he doesn't think just in Z goal terminology, but like triple Z goal. Way in the future. What if the way we interact with our kids or the way we interact with our friends or the people that God put in front of us, what if we could communicate or interact in a way that did not just have an effect on them, but your great, 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 great grandkids? We know sin is generational. We know abuse is passed down. And that sin oftentimes continues. We know systemic sins like racism can be passed down. But how greatly so is blessing. That God allows us to be a part of something that will last beyond our time here on earth. The psalmist continues, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends who conducts his affairs with justice. Or the psalm speaks about how the wise and the righteous act when they fear God and face adversity. So a few principles here. One, you will face opposition. So if you've heard, hey, you have problems, you should follow Jesus and your problems will go away. That's not true. If you have problems and you want to follow Jesus, there will be a joy and a peace that you hadn't had before. But life might get harder. It might get a little bit more crazy. It might get a little bit more unsafe than it was before. But it's a life worth living because, two, God is with you in those times. And He's more powerful than the darkness. And not just a little bit more powerful, right? It's like if this room here was dark and someone flipped on the lights... You wouldn't see this battle between the light bulb emitting the light and the darkness going away. No. You flip on the lights in the dark, it's gone. That's how powerful God is. And then third, the man who fears the Lord deals generously even when facing opposition. The man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments is generous. If you've got a business, you manage people, when things aren't going well, you act the same. And not just for people in business, but in all of your affairs. When your checking book, when your checkbook is low, and you decide to go out to eat with your family, does that affect your tip? If you fear the Lord and delight in His commandments, it doesn't affect because you know that God in control. If you trust in yourself and your own ability to provide, you might hesitate. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady, and he will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Again, a picture of 
the man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. He will not be moved. He's not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady, and he won't be afraid. The righteous isn't afraid of bad news. Uh, to be afraid of what hasn't happened. The, one of the words for this is worry. When we make a habit of worrying, it becomes anxiety. And I know, in, in a room this size, that there's a, there's a lot of people who struggle with anxiety from a medical perspective. That there's some chemicals that have gone off in your head that is causing some kind of anxiety and worry. And I'm not talking about that. Because see, our culture has made it okay to worry. And it's made it okay to have anxiety. And it makes sense because our culture isn't one that says it's good to fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. In fact, I did some research on this. And here's what I found defined by the elements of behavioral health. A regular person worries about 55 minutes a day. While someone with a disorder worries 300 minutes a day. And how many people does that affect? 40 million Americans. It's 18% of our population. Now, how do we get there? But what do we do about it? It's one thing to say, well, I've got anxiety, I've got worry, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna trust in the Lord and delight in his commandments. It was only that easy, right? Now, here's the deal. I, I get this. I, I do. I, I had a, a business a few years back, and it was not going well. I had some account receivable problems that were coming in. I had some employees that were crazy. Inventory issues, the sales were off. It, the whole thing was just a disaster. And, and at nighttime, I, I would lay in bed and, and do these what-if scenarios in my brain. I, I wasn't sleeping at all. Instead, I'm thinking, okay, if, if this money comes in and this goes out, I'll be able to pay that bill, and then I'll float this one, and ah, that one's going to work. And, and, and I'm just running ragged in my head trying to make this work. I was alone because I didn't want to tell anybody because I had built this thing up in myself of, hey, I'm business guy that makes things work. I can make this happen. And I didn't, I didn't want to confess. And I wasn't, I wasn't fearing the Lord and delighting in His commandments. No. Trusting in myself and my ability to, to provide and make things work. As I'm going down this downward spiral and not sleeping and being anxious and being grumbly and miserable to everybody around me, my wife very gently reminded me that, that I'm not that important. And I got to slowly in the process ask for forgiveness and realize that anxiety will fade as my intention turns to trusting in the Lord, to fearing Him, to delighting in Him. bad news happens when your kids aren't doing what you hoped they would be doing when the doctor calls and says I'm not going to give you results now but come into my office and we'll talk God's not surprised he knows what's happening and he's he's ahead of this 
psalmist continues that he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted and honored. We could do a three-part sermon series on giving. In fact, at Bethel, we'd probably do like a 43-part sermon series on it, because that's how we do things, right? We could talk a lot about giving, but in context of this song, uh, let's talk about just a, a few things. We know that everything is God's. We know He lets us use His stuff. We know that it's our responsibility to steward His stuff. And if we fear God and delight in His commandments, then that makes sense and it's easy. But if we don't, it's easy to forget. About seven or eight years ago, uh, I went into Home Depot. with my, I've been to Home Depot since then, but this was seven or eight years ago. With my oldest son. And we went through and we got whatever trinkets we need and we're going through the little checkout line and they've got all the candy aisles right there, the stuff that they lure you in with. And so my son, he was probably about five or six, five or six years old at the time. I says, hey, Dad, can I, can I get some Skittles? He said, sure, you can get some Skittles. So I bought him some Skittles and they were the, at that point in time, new kind of Skittles with a green package and they had the little sour stuff on them that you kind of suck on and they taste real good before it turns into like a Skittle. And so he's walking, we're walking out toward the car, and he's eating uh, these Skittles, and I'm looking over going, those are good. And said, hey, uh, Noah, can I, can I have one of those Skittles? He's like, no. I just bought you those Skittles. You would not have those Skittles if it wasn't for me. In fact, I, if I wanted to, I could get four semi-truckloads of Skittles and dump them off at our house right now. He's looking at me going, no, these are, these are my Skittles. Isn't that what we often do with God? He's given us stuff. They're mine. And if God wanted to, he could, he could dump an eternal amount of Skittles in our front door. Because it's all his stuff. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. This psalm here ends with the inverse of the wise man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. This person is not someone who, uh, this person is someone who does not fear God, and his attitude is grumbling. He's miserable. Not only do you know that he will perish, that he will live for all eternity as well, but his life here on earth isn't fun. It, it might be a good just gut check for all of us to go, hey, what's my attitude? If I'm fearing the Lord and delighting in Him, there is a lightness. There's a joy. There's a peace. But if I'm trusting in myself and I'm not fearing the Lord and I'm not delighting in Him, life is heavy and it's hard and it's slow. So some applications here of what the psalm says. Here's some things. A wise man is a lover of God's word. He's a prosperous man. He's a loving and kind man. He's a generational thinking man. He's a helping man. He's a wise man. He's a strong man. He's a generous man. He's a man who does not abuse power. And he's a hated man by the wicked. Did you write all that down? Seems like a big to-do list, right? And it is. 
if we don't remember the context. How do we do these things? How do we become this person? Simple. We fear the Lord, and we delight in His commandments. We become the moon that simply reflects what the sun has done. Our application here is to rethink our thinking and to remember who God is in His position. We have to understand that God is bigger than we can understand, and He's more powerful than we can comprehend. He loves us to death. Fear the Lord and delight in His commandments. Let's pray. Lord, we want to fear you. We want to delight in what you say, but we confess we don't a lot. And so we thank you for the cross that has forgiven us for that, and we ask you to do the work that only you can do, that you change us, that you change our hearts, to want to fear you and to want to delight in your commandments. We are at best wretched that you saved us. So we thank you. I pray for anyone here that doesn't know who you are, that you draw them to you, that you would do the work that you do. And I pray for us that do follow you and do believe in you, that you continue to do the work that only you do. We love you. We pray that the story of the cross does not grow old in our minds or our hearts. Thank you for the psalmist that allow us and give us freedom to express how we feel and not just how we think. We love you. In Christ's name we pray.